I want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up for the Project Nick Run. I realize that you're thinking I may get to that day and suddenly I've got something else. I'm convinced that even if that happens, that will be the best money that you spend that day. Most likely it'll be the best money you spend that day. So September 28th, uh, you, you heard them give the info. If you want to just come enjoy, walk along, right? Enjoy the morning. Or if you want to run the 5K, 35 bucks. That's it. If you want to run the 10K and see if you can just chase down Mr. Filer, who just kind of blew it away last year. If you want to chase him down, that's the 10K. It's 45 bucks. Or, as you heard, if you want to be a part of the elite team. This is last year's shirt that I proudly wear. I have gotten more feedback from this shirt. I'm telling you, I I have boarded airplanes and and people (laughs) applaud going, now that's the kind of K I want to be a part of, right? You want a cool teacher? I I remember last year having the conversation with Bailey, who is the leader of Project Nick, right? And she's looking at me going, so you don't want to run? Nope. And you'll pay more money not to run? Yep. Fortunately, she bought in on that, and a lot of people did too. I I want to encourage you, whichever level you want to be at, go ahead and sign up. I I know what you do. You tend to wait till it gets right down toward the end, but go ahead and sign up. And truthfully, even if something else comes along, you just spent some money. One, you get a cool t shirt. For those of us in the no K, we get the, the joy of watching other people run, and we get pizza. Oh, and we get to be a part of something in the lives of some boys and girls who don't have moms and dads in some pretty interesting places in the world in order to give them food and clothing and shelter and education and a truth that the creator and the king of this universe wants them and loves them. I'm convinced it's the best money you'll spend that day. All right? Y'all get signed up. Is Is that get signed up? Go online, get signed up. Let's be a part of that. Speaking of impacting kids, we want to welcome our kids today because kids are in with us. Normally they have children's church, but on the fifth Sundays, we all get to be together. And so we're grateful that they're here. And also to everyone who may be joining us from all over the place today, a part of what we do sometimes when when kids are in is we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up that we're going to do that today. Uh, For those of you who came into campuses today, there were some baskets where you could um, pick up those elements. We're going to do that um, eventually together. If you're at home or wherever you may be, You want to be a part of this? You're a Jesus follower? I I want to encourage you to whatever you got, crackers, bread, you got some juice, just want to give you a heads up that a little later on um, we're going to celebrate that together. What I'm confident of today is that from first graders to great-great-grandmas, we got a story that can help us today. This story happened a long time ago, but God 
made sure that it would be written down, that it would be recorded, that we would not only know this story, but never forget it. Now, at the time of this story, let me catch you up a little bit. The people who believed in God saw the world in terms of two groups of people. They saw the world in terms of Jews or Gentiles, just two groups. The Jews saw themselves as God's people. All right, these are descendants of Abraham. God calls Abraham, and from his line, right, a, a, a nation is born. Everybody else, they believed, were Gentiles. Everybody else outside the Jewish nation, they are Gentiles. And so think of it kind of like this way. It's kind of like the difference with people who maybe grow up familiar with the Bible. That's some of your story. That would be the Jews. That they grew up with the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, it's happening in, in even the story that we're learning today. That's the New Testament that's being written down. But they would have had the Old Testament. They had things like God's commandments where he said, don't do this, don't do this, do this. They had the stories of God. They had all that. But the Gentiles did not. And even today, I'm talking to people where some of you grew up with that. Some of you did not grow up with that. So at the time of this story, the the tension that exists here, what the big debate is, how do we become God's family? We got Jews and we got Gentiles, and the question is, how do you get to be God's family? Is it like being a good person? Because that's what the Jews have kind of come to believe, that they've had the commandments of God, they know what God says, and they try to follow those commandments. They, they do things like pray. They do things like give. So the question is, is, it, is that what makes you right with God? But what we know is that Jesus has come along now. The, the, the message is clear that none of us can ever be good enough to be right with God. Even if I was good from this day for the rest of my life, there's that stuff of my past. My sin separates me from God, but that's why Jesus came. He dies for my sin. He rises from the dead, and he says that all who believe in him, right, there is eternal life. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, right, there is eternal life life. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus. That's how we become a part of God's family. And so Jesus' followers are given the instruction, I want you to get this news out to the whole world. I want you to get this good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth because, here's what we've been learning in Acts, Jesus came for all people. He didn't just come for the Jews. He didn't just come for the people that grew up in church. He didn't just come for those who appear to be good. They're the, they're the good people, right? That, no, he came for all people. And what we have in the book of Acts, this story we've been walking through is that God is demonstrating that truth in remarkable story after remarkable story. And last week, it was about Cornelius. Cornelius, who is a Gentile. 
But God right, sends this angel to him telling him to go and get Peter, who is a Jew. But go get Peter because he's got some good news that you need to hear, Cornelius. And at the same time, crazy story, God is, is giving Peter a vision that, that he, this message is supposed to go even to the Gentiles that they, they never thought were worthy of, of such good news. And sure enough, Peter goes and he finds Cornelius and his family ready to hear the good news of Jesus and they believe and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they become God's family. And now, you're ready for today's story. Here's how it starts in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, so he's been in Caesarea, he's been with with Cornelius, now he's back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers Everybody say, criticized. The Jewish believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of Gentile men and ate with them. Hmm. They criticized Peter. I got a question for you. Did Peter do what God told him to do? Yeah, he did. And in this particular story, this is not even one of those moments where Peter's going, well, I I think that's what God wanted me to do, right? Come on, you and I have those moments where you do something and you're like, I really think, I really feel like this is where God's leading me. But this story Come on, God sends an angel, God gives visions, he does it simultaneously, he puts the whole thing together. This is one of those moments where, right, Peter doesn't have to walk away going, well, I I think. No, he knows he did exactly what God told him to do. Here's my point. Even if you do everything right, which you won't, But even if you could, you will still face criticism. There was this guy named Jesus. He actually did everything right. They nailed him to a cross. I just want us to understand that when it comes to this word criticism, we're not talking if today, we're talking when. Not if this will be something that you need to deal with. It's when it will be something that you need to deal with. Because even if you get everything right, there is still going to be criticism that we got to learn how to deal with. Now, let's, let's make sure we understand some criticism can be good. In fact, I know people that pay for it, right? Some of you are a part of organizations that pay for criticism. You pay for somebody to take a look at the thing. You want to know how to get better. And so it's, it's feedback. They're telling you where the weaknesses is. There, there, there's some criticism taking place, right? Some criticism can be good when it's about this desire to improve. But what we're talking about today is how we deal with negative criticism. 
I'm going to try to use a little archery today to hopefully plant some images and some principles in your head that'll help you deal with this as we go forward, okay? Anybody feel like we're just talking about something today that's so irrelevant, right? Right? Anybody, anybody like, well, never, criticism, how do we deal with this? So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the image of an arrow. This particular one, I, I guess you could call it a bolt. It, some of the shorter, right, it, sometimes you refer to it as a bolt, but we're going to call it an arrow today. If this arrow is bent, crooked, is this arrow going to fly like we want it to fly? No. If the arrow is cracked, is it going to fly like we want it to fly? No. And so we're going to let this arrow today represent truth. Truth. Because when we're dealing with criticism, we need to have this conversation about truth. If, if, if what we're saying whether it's the actual criticism or it's the response to the criticism, if, if that's bent, if it's cracked, if in any way that's not truth, it, it's, it affects how we deal with this. So we're starting with the arrow, and the arrow represents what? Truth. Here's the question that we want to ask. Am I speaking truth? Right now, I'm referring to whether it's the criticism itself or whether it is the response to the criticism. The question we need to start with is, am I speaking truth? And the action that we want to take is we want to take time to accurately, accurately explain the what and the why. All right, so somebody criticizes you. Here's the picture. Somebody, somebody throws criticism your way. What is, what is the way that you want to respond? Here's, here's a part of that foundation. You want to take time to accurately explain the what and the why that they're criticizing. We actually learn this from Peter in the story today. Let me show you what I mean. Verse Four, verse four. Look at what it says. So they criticize him, and here's what he does. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I love that. Peter doesn't first get defensive. He doesn't pout and just, you know, shut down. How does he respond when there's criticism? He starts at the beginning and he tells them the whole story, it says. I, I love that. So, so he's, he's given them the, the story of how he had the vision. He's given them all the details of what God showed him. He, he tells them how three of those Gentile men from Cornelius' house shows up at his door at just that time, how God tells him to go. Peter even tells us this time that he takes six of the brothers with him. He takes six believers with him. 
And then when he gets to Cornelius' house, how Cornelius tells him that God had, had, had sent an angel to tell Cornelius to go to him. Here's what I want you to see. Peter takes time to explain it. And he doesn't twist the truth. He doesn't embellish the truth, right? He doesn't, he doesn't exaggerate anything. He, he just speaks the truth. This is exactly how it happened. In other words, the arrow is straight. He accurately describes the what that's being criticized here. And then he goes a step further. He not only explains the what, but he also gives them the why. So after, after he tells them, here's what happened, here's the visions, here's the stories, look at what he says next. Verse 15, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, that's Cornelius and his household, as he had come on us, that's the Jews who are, who are criticizing right now at the beginning, then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's the why. He not only tells them the what, but he connects the dots. He's like, y'all remember when this happened to us? Hey, y'all remember? It could have been some of those stories that we've already read in Acts when large numbers of Jews put their trust in Jesus. He's like, hey, y'all remember when that happened to us? And remember when the Holy Spirit came to live within us? And do you remember what Jesus said to us about being baptized with the Holy Spirit? And, and he's like, hey, if, if that's happening to these Gentiles, just like it did to us, who am I? Who am I? That's our model. That's our example that this is the place we got to start when we're criticized. We got to start with truth. And if it's crooked or if it's cracked, then we have some things to deal with. But the question is, am I speaking truth and am I taking time to accurately explain the what and the why? Now that leads us to the second object that I want you to see today because it's not enough, hear me, it's not enough just to respond with the truth. If somebody criticizes you, it's not enough just to respond with the truth. It's foundational. If it's not the truth, you're not going to get to you know, a resolution here, but it's not enough. You can speak the truth, but not speak it right. You can speak it not loving. So the second, the second thing that I want you to see today is the target. It's the target. And if the arrow represents what? The truth. Then the target for us is going to represent the critic. I like this. I got a pointer today. 
Get a point there. It represents the critic. All right? The target represents the critic. And the question gets a little bigger now. The question is not just, am I speaking the truth? The question now becomes, am I speaking the truth for the good of others? Bigger question. Am I now speaking the truth for the good of others? Wait, 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 Jeff, Jeff. Am I hearing you right? You're, you're saying that somebody's taking shots at me, right? So, somebody is criticizing me, and what you're suggesting is that I'm going to seek their good. Yep. In fact, I'm not suggesting it. I'm saying Jesus' followers are supposed to be countercultural. This is a part of what distinguishes our approach from the rest of the world. The rest of the world just fires back. Jesus' followers, we follow Jesus. And not only do we speak truth, but we do it for the good of others. Let me give you a couple of scripture here, and I did not put these scriptures on the screen. It's my bad. I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm sure you can, you can write them down. You can look them up later. But I just want you to hear a little bit of the evidence of the truth is not enough, okay? And, and don't, don't twist that. But here's what I mean. Proverbs 26, verse 7. Proverbs 26, verse 7 says, Like the useless legs of one who is lame. Right, So a person who's lame, their legs don't work, is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Now get the imagery. He's saying, you know how a lame person, they got legs, but the legs don't work? He said, that's what it's like when you think you have truth, but you're foolish. You don't know what to do with that truth. You don't know how to deliver that truth. You don't know how to use that truth. Right? What, what, a cool, what a cool proverb. Let me give you some more. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, this is pretty clear. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And just in case you're not buying it, let me give you one more. Spoken by the guy actually in our story today, Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 3. Later on, here's what he writes. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to do this, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Man, the language is consistent throughout Scripture. It is not enough just to be true. It is not enough just to blast with the truth. The question is, is this helping them? Is this blessing them? Tim Keller has a really good quote on criticism. This is, this is what Tim Keller said. He said, the biggest danger of receiving criticism is not to your reputation. That's what most people think but to your heart. It tempts you to despise the critic. 
Now hear me. I am not saying, nor do I believe the scripture teaches, that you can never say anything critical about what somebody has said or done. Can we be clear on that? There is a time to say that's not right. There is a time to stand up and say that's wrong. We are are not saying that you can't ever say anything critical about what somebody said or done, but the test is when you do so, am I targeting their good? You tracking with me? When I do it, Am I targeting their good? Here's the action. We want to seek to understand why I'm being criticized. I I, want to focus on the target. I've focused on the truth, making sure we're dealing with truth here, but I'm also focusing on the target Do I really understand what's going on here? Let me just throw out a few principles that I have learned throughout the years that I think could help us today. For example, if I'm trying to understand my target, if I'm trying to understand the one who's criticized me, here's what you need to know. Most criticism is tied to a deeper struggle. It is. Most criticism is tied to a deeper struggle. Some of the criticism that you may face is from people who are just mad at the world right now. Can you blame them? Just mad at the world. Look, I understand that um, everybody's occupation, right, everybody's role is different in terms, but if there's one thing we all have in common, we face criticism. And I promise you in church world, there's criticism. Um, I could pick one, one little area and just talk about criticism for a while in terms of how uh, we, we tend to face that from time to time. Um, music. Music. Right? And uh, like this person likes this style. No, I think, you know, Jesus is for this style. And no, I, this, this needs to be the sound. And no, this needs to be the sound. I, I literally have, I've dealt with people um, who, who truly believed that slow songs, right, it's like God was more powerful in the slow song than he is in a, in a, in a faster paced song. That, that God worked, he, he somehow he, you know, more empowered slow songs. Like, Really? And so some people like slow songs and some people like fast songs. And I, it's like, but here, here's, here's what I found out. S- some of those folks who struggled with faster songs, believing that somehow where God really did his work was in it when everything got, you know, slower. You know what I found out? Many of them grew up in churches where they went every week as kids and they watched this celebration happen where people came together and 
and acted excited and sang all these joyful songs, and then they watched them walk out, and they weren't very joyful people. And their conclusion was, this doesn't, this is, this is false, fast songs don't help. Now, they were kind of missing the point, right? It's not about the fast or the song, it's the heart. But once you hear the story, can't you understand a little more why? Once you hear the experience, you can understand a little more why that tension existed. Come on, sometimes people will criticize you because actually there's a struggle in their house. There's a struggle in their marriage. There's a struggle with their kids, a struggle at work. Maybe finances have have just taken a turn for the worst or, or maybe their health. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that every one of your critics needs counseling. That's a weak way to approach that. That's not how leaders approach that. We're not saying that every critic needs counseling. I'm just saying sometimes great people say terrible things without any basis. It's kind of like road rage, right? You know what I'm saying when I talk about road rage? We hear stories every once in a while where, where somebody gets into an altercation, a driving scenario on the highway, right? Somebody, somebody does something, and next thing you know, man, we got a dangerous situation going on. Can I tell you that road rage rarely is about what happened on the highway? I'm not saying never. I'm saying rarely. It's almost always tied to something unresolved that is going on in the big picture behind the story. And sometimes that is exactly what's going on when people criticize you. Let me give you another truth, right? Not only is most criticism tied to some deeper struggle, but distance and division have made people ruder and bolder. That's our day. Distance and division have made people ruder and bolder. This pandemic has separated us in more ways than we realize. An isolation factor that is taking a bigger toll than we realize. Now, to prove my point, I would take you back to your vehicle, take you back to the car, right? Have you noticed how people will be more bold in their car than out of their car, right? They will honk their horn and they will cut people off and like, they won't do that in person. You know what I'm saying? They won't, they won't butt in front of somebody in person, but you put them in a 3,000 pound tank and suddenly they, they feel empowered and the separation, it will lead them to be ruder and bolder. Listen to me. Social media does the same thing. The separation and the division leads people to be ruder and bolder. It's never been easier to take shots at people. But as Jesus followers, that's not who we follow. That's not who we follow. So let me give you a couple of practical practical steps before we move to the third item. Here's the practical steps when you're dealing with the target. I would recommend, one, don't respond for 24 hours. 
All right, now I'm making a general rule. I realize every once in a while there is an exception, but when you are criticized, most of the time it is a good principle, don't respond for 24 hours. Because even if you are good at handling criticism, and some of you are good, some of you that I'm speaking to today, you're better than others and just dealing with criticism, but even if you are good at it, you feel it. You still feel it. Sometimes you hear that criticism, your heart beats a little faster. No matter what you try to do, it just beats a little faster. Sometimes it makes you feel discouraged. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it makes you feel crushed. And sometimes the difference is who does it. Because, man, when it's the person you thought you could trust, when it's the person you thought you were close to, and then suddenly the criticism comes, man, it just leaves you feeling crushed. And what happens in that moment, my feelings are directing my brain. My feelings are affecting my brain. I've told you this before, my dad taught me over and over again when I was growing up, son, learn to act, don't react. But when your feelings are affecting your brain, you react. That's what you do. So what's the surest way to be able to act and not react? Put some time in between the receiving of the criticism and how you respond to that criticism. Give 24 hours, right? Now, when something is written to you, if it's an email, if it's a text, if it's, if it's a letter, whatever, if it's actually in writing, it's a little easier to step back and go, I'm not going to respond to that till tomorrow. Now, I might, I might go ahead and type out what I think I'm going to say. But I, I'm not going to send it. I'm not going to send it until I've put some distance between. When it's written, it's a little easier to do that. What happens when the criticism's in person? My suggestion is move really, really slow. Do not, usually you don't want to engage that immediately. Say as little as you can. Sometimes you need to say absolutely nothing until a little time has passed, 24 hours, I'm saying, your brain is now more likely to be in charge, not your feelings. You had time to sleep, hopefully. You had time to pray, and if you didn't sleep, you got to pray a whole lot more. You've had time perhaps to talk with a few people that you consider Jesus followers, wise counsel, as you're, as you're going, look, this is, this is what happened. How do, I, how do I handle that? And maybe, just maybe, I know this is crazy, but maybe within that 24 hours, I've had enough time to really hear the criticism that came my way. And what if, what if there's some part of that criticism I need to own. And I'm saying even if it's 5%, like they may blast you with criticism and, and you, you would go, there is like 2% of that that they're actually accurate. Then own it. 
own that part. When you respond, be willing to own the part that you need to own. But if you immediately fire back, if you immediately shot for shot, you will never get to that place. You'll never get to that place. So let me give you one more principle, all right? Not only don't respond for 24 hours, but when you do, then reply relationally. I'm saying reply relationally. And when I say relationally, I'm saying take it a step further than they did in terms of actually connecting to deal with criticism. They may have posted something about you, right? They may have sent out an email overnight, but you don't have to do that. Here's what I would challenge you. If they email you criticism, call them. Don't email them back. I don't think I've ever seen email accomplish anything beautiful when it comes to conflict. I really don't. I don't think I've ever seen email accomplish anything beautiful when it comes to conflict. If they email you criticism, you respond, I would challenge you by calling them. Not only will you shock them, but you will almost always diffuse a bit of the situation because remember, people tend to be ruder and bolder when they can hide. If they stop you in the hallway and they criticize you, I would suggest take it a step further when you've given your time to process what you heard, call them up and say, hey, I'd really like to learn a little bit more about why you're feeling that way. Um, how about we get together for coffee? Let's get together for coffee. Or, you know, they get mad at you at a meeting, invite them to lunch. Most of the times it'll diffuse the situation. And if they at all are healthy, and if you at all will own whatever percentage of the criticism you need to own, most often it'll resolve the situation. Okay? That's just super practical, but you would be surprised how few people actually practice it. I got one more for you, and we'll wrap this up. What is the arrow? Truth. What does the target represent? The critic. I got one more, and that one more is a sight. A sight. Now, this one is a super cheap sight, all right? I'm admitting it to you. I have better ones, but they are attached to bows that I did not want to take off the bow, all right, because it is sighted in, all right? But this is a sight to represent a little bit of how it works. This is an old school just pin sight. It's called, it's pins in there. It's two little, two little pins. Sometimes there's three, four, however many you want to have. The, the idea is that each of the little pins can be a different color, uh, and so each color, maybe the first one's, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards. You kind of have an idea of how far that arrow is going to fly. Here's what the sight represents. 
Jesus. Kind of a big deal. We got truth. We're wanting to make sure we got truth. We got our critic. We're trying to understand what's going on here. But I'm telling you, the piece that ties that together and accomplishes what we're about is Jesus. So my question just got a little bit bigger. Here's my final question. This is the question I'm asking. When I'm dealing with criticism, this is eventually what it builds to. Am I speaking truth for the good of others? Here's the finish. So they know Jesus loves them. So they know that Jesus loves them. You're like, but Jeff, they hurt you. Mm-hmm. I know. They took advantage of you. I know. I mean, they, they tried to, like, purposefully, right? I know. But when you follow Jesus, th- th- this is something supernatural. This, this is not how the world explains this process. This is, am I speaking truth for the good of others that they know Jesus loves them? And the action that I'm going to take is to act in a way that demonstrates Jesus is my greatest treasure. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. There are times to say this is wrong. There are times to say we're not going to do this, right? There are times that you can stand against whatever is being said or done. But come on, this is our mission. It's what we learned in the first chapter of this, this story of Acts. We are called to be witnesses in all circumstances. We, we, are, we are to tell what we know of Jesus. We are to declare his greatness. He is my greatest treasure. And the question is, when people hear you respond to criticism, because there's a crowd. Your family's going to pick up on how you respond. Some of you, your, your work scenario is going to pick up on how you respond. Whether it's school, whatever it is, they're going to pick up on how you respond. The question is, is what they see, is what they hear, is what they read, That Jesus is your greatest treasure. If so, the response can be more like, man, did you see how that guy handled that? Did you see how that girl handled that? Man, she's strong, she's secure. Like, she seems to know who she is. She has, this, she has this quiet strength about her that words don't crush her. I'm about to give you a big statement on the screen. Don't criticize me. That's what people do when I give them big statements on the screen and then I walk away. That's, how, that's how, like we, we show the big statement and then I go to talking about it and they lose it and we get info that goes, hey, you, you got the big statement. I can't even write it down, all right? So I'm telling you, we're about to get a big statement. You can write fast or take a picture and then you can write it down later, all right? But here's the big statement that I want you to see. The more secure you are in understanding how Jesus sees you, 
the less affected you will be by negative criticism and the more effective you will be in dealing with negative criticism. The more secure you are in seeing how Jesus sees you, who you are in him, that totally is a game changer in how criticism affects you and how effective you are in dealing with it. Now, by the way, this is also true of compliments, right? When somebody compliments you, if you're not careful, your head does what? But if you know who you are in Jesus, it kind of keeps that thing level, right? Helps to level out, understand who I am because of, because of him. But today we're dealing with negative criticism, so we're going to stay with the negative. Sometimes when somebody criticizes us, what do we do? We get defensive. We get defensive and we go, yeah, that's what I did, but that's what you would have done too. And come on, you know better than me. We get defensive. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who I am in Jesus, states that we all miss the mark. We all sin against God. We all deserve separation. So instead of getting defensive when somebody criticizes, I can actually say, let's take a look at this. Have I missed anything here? Because it's happened before. <laughs> Have I missed anything here? Because I've, I've, I've missed it before. I thought about this this week. Y'all, sometimes my critic gets it wrong, right? Sometimes somebody's criticizing me for something but they are wrong about criticizing me on this issue. But, but you, you know what I've come to realize? They're wrong. It's just because they picked the wrong issue today. You hear what I'm saying? They're wrong about this issue. I happen to be right about this particular issue. But there were some other issues. If they had picked those today, they would have been right. Come on, that's every day that we live. Just because somebody misses on something, there ought to be a piece of humility in us because of who we know we are in Jesus, a people who have been forgiven, that we can be honest and go, look, I, 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 can, I can take a look at that. Sometimes when we receive negative criticism, we just deflate. We just go into hiding. We just crumble, right? What's wrong with me? I am worthless. No, when I know who I am in Jesus, I am forgiven. I am loved by God. I belong to him. When he sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son. Even though I am a sinner, he has covered me. So I don't have to crumble. I can stand in who I know I am as his kid. When criticism knocks us off course, it's an indication that we have forgotten the truth of who we are in him. Man, if we could just remember that. How do we remember that? And at least one way I know is a little something that Jesus gave us a long time ago. He said, do this in remembrance of me. 
And when we do it, we are remembering not only what he's done for us, but now who we are in him. Sometimes we refer to it as Lord's Supper. Sometimes people call it communion. But it is a time that believers, followers of Jesus, come together to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so I want to invite um, all who may be joining us today who are followers of Jesus to be a part of this. You may not right, belong to Heart of Life Church, but I'm saying if you're a Jesus follower, you are a part of his church, and I, I invite you to be a part. What we are about to do is to, to use, a, 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 in this case, a little wafer that we'll use here. And again, I'm encouraging you, if you're at home, you got a cracker, you got something like that. Um, sometimes people get real nervous about, hey, I don't know if I should do that. Come on. The difference in whether you're making a mockery of this or not is your heart. And, and I'm saying you got a piece of bread, you got a cracker, you got some juice. I, I, I want to encourage you when it comes from your heart in the right way, this, you're not making a mockery of this. But we believe that this bread represents Jesus' body. This juice represents his blood. And as we take it together, we are remembering this most powerful truth that we're talking about today that, come on, even impacts how we handle the criticism of this world. It puts your feet on solid ground. So, here's where I want us to start today. The Bible says that when we approach this, we, we are to approach it with intention, not with a flippancy, and that there's a part of what we're looking at here that ought to make us look at our own heart and go, man, to be loved in such a way for such grace to be poured out toward me, are there things in my life that I need to take to him right now? Are there things that I need to talk to Jesus about right now? Are there, you know, maybe it was the way you responded to some criticism that came your way. What do you do with that? You, you start, you go to Jesus. And we confess those things knowing that he forgives us. And maybe there are other things that are on your heart today, struggles that you have, some things you need to give up to him. I'm saying before we do this, I want to invite you to just take a moment wherever you may be and meet with him. And just ask him, Jesus, is there anything, right, that he would show you if there's anything that's in the way, anything that needs to be made right with him? Maybe it's somebody that you need to make some things right with. I just want to invite us to take a minute across all locations and let's just spend a minute being with him.
want to invite you to take that bread and on these little cups, it's just to be honest with you, it's a little weird. There's a little piece of cellophane right on top. It's thin. It's not the thick piece. And if you just pull that top piece back, you'll be able to take that bread. I'm going to give you a second to get it, and then we want to take it together. Jesus said, this red represents his body that was broken for us. And whoever eats this bread, whoever knows Jesus, lives forever. Then I would invite you, open the juice. And Jesus said this represents his blood that was shed for us. Only his blood that could cleanse us from all sin. And he says that as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, or you eat this bread, you eat this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes again. Until he comes again. Come on, that's a hope that we celebrate every time, really, we come together. It's the hope that I remind you of today before you leave. The criticism you may face this week, maybe the criticism that you're already knee-deep in, Listen to me, every ounce, every ounce of everything that you pour out in loving Jesus, in loving others, is worth it. It's worth it. I'm going to pray for you before you go, but I got a challenge for you before you go. Before you Exit the room you're in, right? I want to challenge you to have a conversation with somebody that you haven't yet had a conversation with today. Okay? Before you leave the room today, have a conversation with somebody. It could be about the weather. It could be about the chiefs. Go Chiefs. It could, it could be whatever you want it to be. That's fine. Just have a conversation with somebody that you haven't yet had a conversation with, right? And part of me wanted to say, and if you're trying to get into heaven, have a conversation with somebody you've never met. But I figured that's not the best thing to say, so I'm not going to say that, all right? I, I'm just joking. Um, I know it's a little more challenging, but maybe you could have a conversation with somebody that you've never met before. That would be kind of cool especially if we get to do this forever together in heaven, you might as well get to know them, all right? Some of you are thinking, hey, Jeff, I'm at home. I kind of know all these people. Then I want to challenge you to call somebody today, maybe that you haven't talked to in a while. Um, It won't be awkward because you can just say, Jeff said, we need to call. We need to call and you're the person that I thought of. Actually, I think they'll appreciate the fact that they're the one that you actually thought of, call somebody 
Let's check on one another. Let's care for one another. 